0: bless you. Wow. Okay, well, um, one of the, uh, many of you who know our story know we moved house just a couple of months ago, and one of the great benefits of moving house and moving into a new area, at least so far as I'm concerned, has been uh, having to find a new doctor's. And you may say, really? And uh, yeah, uh, Because uh, as part of that, I I found out that I was meant to have had a health check. Now, I've never had a health check before. And I know you'd look at me and say, a man of your 10 years, you don't need a health check. But thank you for making that comment. I appreciate that, but all the rest of it. But this is my NHS health check. Now, I got really excited about this. I don't know about you. Maybe you've never had one of these. If not, I'd strongly encourage you if you're of the right age. I'm not quite sure exactly how old you have to be, but I know I'm old enough. And, and a bit more, because they told me it should have happened quite a few years ago. Um, <laughs> it was really good. It was great. I really enjoyed it. I probably enjoyed it more because I was really surprised at how well I did on it. <laughs> to be Truth to be told, I expected to not get greens throughout, but you could actually come at... This is genuinely mine, I hasten to add. I haven't stolen it from somebody else. But I got green, ticks in the green boxes on all the five major measures, which... I was astonished by, to be frank. Um, You know, a health check's a really fun thing to do. uh, Because also what it does, (laughs) I'm not being paid by the NHS to say this honestly, Uh, because it gives you an opportunity also though to reflect on actually how am I doing in my life? And actually what am I doing about my health? And one of the things I was very keen on in moving to Alton was I wanted to be able to walk into the office each day. Because I haven't been able to do that in my past job. And, uh, and uh, it, it's great when she said, well, you yeah, your exercising is pretty good. Uh, it's great to see you walk into work every day. I said, yeah, I only just started doing that, but that's fine. <laughs> hey, let's ignore the last 14 years where I haven't. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's great to do a health check and just to review things. And just, you know, it's so easy to, in life for things to slip and uh, actually instead just to check up and say, oh, actually, how am I doing on this? How am I doing on that? Does my eating need to improve? Emma would always encourage me to improve on my eating. Uh, I have, believed it or not, over the years. Um, uh, But even that, uh, you, you you say, oh, okay, yeah, I could probably improve in this area and that area. And it's great to stop and reflect. And I hope you're feeling that as we're working through 1 Thessalonians together because it's a great opportunity to do a spiritual health check. It is written, as uh, those of you who have been around over the last five, six weeks now that we've been uh, working through this will have picked up, it's been written to a bunch of new believers. And what it's, what it's trying to do, what Paul, the author of it, is trying to do, they say, look, these are, these are things you want to just keep an eye on. He's wanting to lay foundations into their lives. He's wanting to address some issues. And I hope and pray that as we are working through 1 Thessalonians, you will find that we are uh, reminding ourselves of things which are really important. You know, in our spiritual life, not that you can separate the spiritual from anything else, but if you were to do so, it's very easy over time to think, well, I've got that sussed, and then actually to drift on it later on because we become casual about something. And so I want to encourage us, as we are working through this book, please don't think, oh, well, it's only for new believers. No, it's for all of us. It's a great opportunity to do a bit of a health check, to reflect on how am I doing, how am I doing my walk with Jesus, other things he wants me to uh, perhaps relearn, or to things which he wants to address, which he's never been able to address thus far in our lives. So, we're going to read a passage from 1 Thessalonians in a moment. Before we do so, let's just ask Jesus to help us. Father, it's your word. You've inspired it. We know that in your word, there's everything we need for life and godliness. And so we want to ask, Father, today, would you, great physician, come and highlight what we need to hear that we can take another stepling step on that journey together today. Or well, whether there's things we need to highlight in our spiritual health, in perhaps what we think or how we deal with things. Lord, we want to give you consent. Come and highlight them. Help us to hear them. and Help us to trust you. To address them for your glory, for your honour. Amen. Amen. We're, uh, we've got to the last part of 1 Thessalonians 2. So if you've got your Bible with you, you may want to turn to it. No problem if you haven't got a Bible with you, though. I'll be reading it anyway. We're going to start in verse 17. And uh, it starts as this. But... Brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person though not in thought, out of our intense longing we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ? When he comes, is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who's our brother and God's fellow worker, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. They may say, oh, Andrew, that's an interesting passage to preach from, isn't it? Well, it's really, Paul's just telling a bit of the story, what's been going on. But actually within that, I believe, firstly, we find there is a real insight into the heart of an apostle. This passage gives us an amazing insight into the heart of God. An apostle, it really unpacks a little bit about what apostolic ministry is and looks like, how it works, what particularly motivates Paul. I mean, here we are. Paul is passionately, dearly concerned about these people. This isn't some sort of business arrangement. This isn't some sort of working relationship in terms of, well, I'm their line manager and I've got to care for this church, yeah, I mean, if you just go through this passage, verse seventeen, intense longing to see them, resulting in making every effort. The the phrase actually there um, uh, to be torn away means to be feel like you've been orphaned. That's what the phrase it means. Paul is saying, "I feel like I've been orphaned from you. I've lost you. I've I've that orphan sort of wow." And then he says, well, verse eighteen, I wanted to come again and again." Just to make the point, you know, I didn't just give it a casual try. Say, no, no, I tried and I tried again and again. And then you get this picture of his motivation, verse 19 20. This expression of deep love and concern for them. And the sense of, you know, they're they're precious to him. These are a precious group of people. This young church are precious to him. And then he he says, I can't stand this, 3-1. I can't stand this. I'm so concerned about this young church, this group of people. He goes, I sent Timothy to you. I sent Timothy to you. That was massive. Timothy sent from Athens where Paul is with others of his team. He goes, I sent Timothy. Timothy was like his son. He was a dearly loved member of Paul's team. He said, "I sent Timothy to you. It was costly for Paul to lose him from Athens. He sends Timothy as an apostolic delegate, one sent by an apostle with authority to go and help and serve a church. And what was Timothy sent to do? To strengthen and encourage the church in what? In faith. To strengthen and encourage the church." In their faith, their relationship with God. He brings the truth of God. He provokes the church in the mission of God. He supports it in the challenges he's facing. That's part of what Timothy goes to do. And then you come to this last part of this passage. He's, He's explained everything up until now. And what was the real purpose? So no one would be unsettled by the trials you're going through. No one would be unsettled by the trials. You know quite well we were all destined for them. And it unpacks then this theme of actually how they were to deal with suffering and persecution. I just want to uh, pick up particularly on that in a moment. But before we do so, just say that type of relationship with Paul and Paul's love and concern for the church in Thessalonica is the type of relationship we look to have with those who care for us within commission. That is the sort of relationship. When we talk about something like West Point, it's not just that this is something that because we're part of a group we have to go to. But no, it's because we've got a heart relationship. We've got a heart relationship with Guy and his apostolic team that serve us and care for us. Now you may say, well, we don't see Guy very often. Well, West Point is a great opportunity to see him. Actually, West Point isn't just, isn't just about hearing from Guy at the stage. West Point as an event is an expression of Guy's heart for who we are and where we're going. The whole event is. He, he shapes the, the, the planning of the teaching and the program and, and the way the, the, the event feels. At a, a, a large level, it's, it's reflecting him. And uh, by the way, we've got Guy and Heather with us in March next year. They're coming in because they want to be with us and get to know us as a church and provide an opportunity for us to get to know them. Actually, just um, while I think about it, somewhere here. These were handed out at West Point, just to say. Um, they're a little update. They're on the table over there. They, uh, look at that. Isn't that clever? They fold out. Just It's sort of an update on our story, our journey together as a family of churches was commissioned. So if you weren't at West Point, if you're at West Point, you should have got one of these. If you weren't at West Point, they are over there on the table. they got a picture of a tent on a hill saying, adventure together, 27th, 2017 update. I would encourage you to pick one of those up. So encouraging just to hear what we're doing as a family of churches together. But I want to focus... Not on that relationship. That's important relationship as it is and why that happens. I want to focus on this last part of the passage today. Verse 3. So no one would be unsettled by these trials. So no one would be unsettled by these trials. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Well, don't trials unsettle you? Isn't that what trials are for? The very nature of a trial, when we go through a trial, don't we feel unsettled? And yet Paul's saying, no, 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 hang on. So no one will be unsettled by the trials. What's he mean by this word? Well, the Greek word which is used here, which is translated unsettled, means shaken or disquieted or even deceived or drawn away from your faith. He was expressing a concern for the church here that, they, that despite the circumstances they were in, this would not cause them to doubt God and, and to walk away in their relationship from God, but actually cause them to go deeper in their relationship with God. And I think it provokes a question. And the question is this. Do we, that is, do you and I, do we have a theology which allows for and deals with suffering, with trials, with persecution? If not, you will be shaken. You will be unsettled. And it's very easy sometimes to uh, not have a theology which allows for it, partly because we often don't talk about it, And that's why we're going to talk about it today. And partly because there is a popular view amongst Christians, uh, which you often come across amongst Christians, which uh, forms part of a Christian worldview, which basically says only good should ever happen to Christians. And you may or may not have come across that. So let's just look at this for a moment. Why can Paul say this? If Paul's going to say, so you won't be shaken by these trials, and you're to expect them, by the way, the other half of verse 3, you know quite well we were destined for them. In fact, verse 4, when we were with you, we kept telling you that you would be persecuted. I mean, you know, he's, he's fairly blunt. We're to expect these sort of stuff. So what is a theology? How are we to deal with difficult times? How are we meant to deal with difficult times? With hardship, with trials, with persecution? If you're taking notes... Um, you're probably not going to try, want to try and find all these passages, but I'm just going to quote a number of passages just to paint a big picture for us. You see, throughout Scripture, New Testament particularly, it's very clear that Christians will have trials and hardship. For example... John 15, well known passage. If you've been a believer sometime, you'll probably say, yeah, passage about uh, God being the vine and us being the branches. Really powerful passage. It's one of those sort of warm, fuzzy moment passages, in one sense, in terms of how God wants to nurture us and help us to grow in Him. But He also talks about being pruned. And once you've finished that part, the second part of John 15, verse 18 through to John 16, verse 4, what happens? Jesus says, expect and watch out for hardship. Okay. So that warm, fuzzy passage where often we love to talk about, and it's a great passage about how God nurtures us and cares for us, goes straight into Jesus then talking about, hey, by the way, don't forget there's going to be hardship and trouble. So let's not think there won't be, because there will. Acts 14, Paul says to the folks in Acts 14, hey, we've got to go through many hardships. To do what? To enter the kingdom of God. To enter the kingdom of God. Wow, we're going to have to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus in John sixteen thirty three says we'll have trouble. Not we may. That's not the word there. We will. We will go through trouble and hardships. Wow. Andrew, you're doing a good job on depressing us this morning. I'm not hearing many hallelujahs. Thank you. (laughs) Romans 5. Paul rejoices in his sufferings. Because why? Suffering? Produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. And then he says, and hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Wow. <laughs> That's a powerful statement, isn't it? says, <laughs> I rejoice in my sufferings. You rejoice in your sufferings. Excuse me, can you get your head checked, please? Why on earth are you rejoicing in your sufferings? Because, look what happens. Perseverance. Character. Hope. And hope doesn't disappoint us because we also know the Holy Spirit poured out into our lives. We know the love of God. Elsewhere in Romans you read, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. Wouldn't say that if it wasn't meant to be happening to us. So, oh, rebuke affliction. Doesn't say that. Be patient in affliction. 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. Everybody who pursues the Christian life will be persecuted. It's part of being a Christian, will be persecuted. Wow, really? Yeah will be persecuted. For everyone, this is what it says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Not maybe, will be. Wow. 1 Peter 1. Peter tells folks in his letter how we will all have to suffer grief in all kinds of forms. Why? So your faith may be proved to be genuine. (laughs) So your faith will be proved to be genuine. Wow. Suffering proves our faith. Hardship proves our faith. And he goes on to say, result in praise to God. (laughs) Wow. So how we handle suffering, how we handle hardship, that can result in praise to God and glory to God. Friends, I trust you're starting to pick up with some of those, from some of those passages. We all need to have an understanding that we will suffer all, for all different types of trial and tribulation and hardship and persecution. Some of which will be particularly because of our stance with the gospel, but not exclusively. And it's not due to a lack of faith. But it's because God wants to use these things for his glory And honour. And in doing that he will work in us and produce godliness. Godly character in us. Wow. Do you know what though? It's how we deal with these things that's important. It's how we deal with them. You see it would be very easy for me to create this sense as I'm preaching this morning. Well therefore we just got to welcome it all. Let's go and look for hardship. Let's go and wind people up so they persecute us because it's what we're meant to have. And we could develop some sort of masochistic tendency of, well, I'm just looking for more trial and hardship and persecution. No. You'll be glad to know. No. (laughs) But it could be the opposite where we go, well, we're not meant to have anything. Surely we're not meant to have anything. It's just the devil. We've got to rebuke it. No. So how are we... How would our understanding, how would our theology of this affect us? Well, I'd like to suggest four things. First of all, we need faith and grace. See, these trials and tribulations, hardships, they create an opportunity to grow in the grace of God, i.e. where we look to God to get us through the situation we're in. It's an opportunity to grow in the grace of God but it's also an opportunity to demonstrate our faith in God in the way in which we go through this. It's an opportunity to demonstrate our faith in God through the way in which we handle it. Yet also, there is an opportunity to express our faith and to put our faith in God, in in God's sovereign hand at work Interaction by praying and saying, God, I'm, I'm prepared to live with this if this is what you've got. But let's also put faith into action here. Now, God, would you heal? Now, God, would you set free? Now, God, would you, whatever the situation is. And there will be times where we see God's sovereign hand touching a heart or a life. And you go, wow, look at that. And Charlie was sharing that story about her dad today. They go, isn't God good? That's the grace of God. And that's faith in God outworked. That's wonderful. But actually, how we deal with these situations also can demonstrate our faith in God. That we don't fall to pieces when these things happen. And there can be an opportunity to grow in the grace of God. In the midst of suffering and hardship and trial and persecution, and so we've got a—it's it's a difficult, difficult line to walk along because, oh, it's not swinging one way too far or the other. It's looking for the sovereign hand of God at work. We pray for and believe in healing. We look for healing, but we also know that there are times where God will hold back His hand. In whatever way he'll do it, however it happens, and he'll allow us to go through stuff. And we find grace at those moments, and we still trust God in those moments. Faith and grace, how we respond with these situations, will be just as powerful a witness of our faith and of the kingdom of God. Can I make this observation? I believe it can take just as much faith, if not more, to dignify the trial we go through as to see it resolved. What I mean by that is sometimes, I I, I want to tell you a story actually, it's about a lady, her name's Kathy. She was part of our church in Bournemouth many years ago, just after, in fact, we'd moved there. And Kathy, in her early 30s, developed breast cancer two young children, lovely husband, two wonderful young children. And uh, we prayed for healing for her. And praise God she was healed. And we celebrated with her. And in fact, I think she ended up on a New Frontiers video, if I remember correctly, sharing her testimony of healing. Remarkable testimony of healing. Doctors were amazed that she was healed. Two years later, it returned. And we were like, What's going on? And we started praying again. And one day, Kathy came to see us as elders. She said this, Andrew and the other elders said, I'm coming to ask you to stop praying for my healing. She said, God has met with me and told me I'm going home. Sorry, emotions get to me from now. I'm going home, and what I want you to do is pray for my journey home instead. And she demonstrated amazing faith for those next four months until she died. Faith that God was calling her home. Faith and certainty of where she was going. Faith and certainty that God was in control of her life. She put the most incredible seeds of faith into her husband and into her children. Ones which they lived out. The kids are still going on with Jesus. I say the kids, they're now 20 and 17, I think, something like that. Because of the way she went through what was happening. And you know, friends, sometimes it can need as much, if not more, faith to dignify the trial. As to say, no, 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 I should be made better. Do you, do you get that? We need to hear God. We need to understand there are trials we will go through which God says, you're going through it. We need to understand that. Now, please don't hear me say, therefore, I don't believe in healing. I do. <laughs> and I'll always pray for healing. But there are times where we also need to hear that people's faith and where their journey is. And we need to understand what they are believing God for, not try to impose what we would want. Because it's very easy to go, well, I want to pray this for you. No, no, how can I pray for you is a much better question to ask. Faith and grace. We all need equal measure of both of them. The second area is this, it's prayer. It's expressing our dependency on God and trusting in the glory of God. You know, when we're in the midst of a trial or a difficulty, what's your reaction? Do you head to prayer? Does it cause you to go closer to God? Or do you do what I sometimes do, which is sort of remove my head and run around flapping my wings like a headless chicken? So easy to do the latter. But trial and tribulation, hardship, suffering. Let's let it take us to a place of prayer. A place of expressing our trust in Jesus. Let's let it help us to really ground out what we really believe. Not just theoretically what we believe, but actually live it out. When we go through hardship, it can draw us so much closer Jesus if we let it it would be daft of me to ignore the fact we've got a number of people going through very difficult circumstances at the moment in the church I'm not preaching this because of those circumstances I'm preaching it because this is what the word has for us today but isn't this a word in season doesn't it feel like a word in season to me it does Friends, let's pray more. Let's pray for one another. Let's hold one another up in prayer as we go through our circumstances, as we go on the journey God's got for us. Let's work out our dependency and trust in God in that way. Sure, yeah, let's support in other ways practical as well. But let's not forget to pray for one another. Let's not forget to grab hold of people and support them and encourage them in prayer. Be careful how we pray. Ask people, how can I pray for you? Let's not just try and impose something of us on others. Let's understand the journey people are on. How can I serve you by praying for you? It's a powerful question. You know... Prayer is a way of expressing faith. And faith does not have certainty. But faith is expressed in the midst of doubt, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of trial, or anything else that's going on. And it's a powerful thing. Let's exercise our faith through prayer. We're going to be praying together uh, a week on Friday, it's right, isn't it, Sean? I've got that date right. We've got a half night of prayer as a church. Please, make a priority. 7.30, I think, seven, thank you. I knew I was going to get that wrong. <laughs> I'm glad I got Sean in the front row. 7 till 11, a week on Friday, half night of prayer. Deliberately starting slightly earlier, so that perhaps even more of our teens can be with us as we start. Let's give her time. Let's prioritise prayer. In the midst of hardship and trouble, let's pray. But you know, something else I believe happens as we go through hardship and trouble and It's this. We've already read it. God develops our character. God develops our character. Just as it says in that passage in, Rome, uh, in Romans. Hardship, if handled well, it produces character in us. Let's be a church which actually allows, in the midst of hardship and trial, not only faith and grace to be well exercised, expressed in prayer, but let's allow God to work in us as well and build godly character in us. I found generally in life when going through a trial or a hardship, there's normally something also which I can learn about my character in that process. And it's good. The problem with character development and character growth is it's painful. We have to reflect on ourselves. We have to allow others to also help us to see things sometimes. But actually, we have just read in those passages of scripture I read out, it's good, it's good. Let's have a theology which says actually, God working on my character, that's a good thing. It's okay to go, Ouch. At the same time, it's okay to go. I know God's working on my character and it really hurts, but it's good. That doesn't that's not actually masochistic. (laughs) That's saying, but I can trust God. And I know that God's only got good for me. And therefore, I'm gonna let Him work on my character. And therefore, we grow in trusting God, we deepen our relationship. I just want to remind us of those two words we've had this morning. Aaron and Sean. Time to grow in trusting God. It's time to grow and deepen in our trust of him. It's time to look more to him. At times of trouble and hardship and persecution, where do you look? You look to God. Look to him. Let him be your strength. Let him be your help. Let him be the one who brings his rest and his peace. That Psalm sixty-two is such a powerful psalm. If you're struggling with hardship at the moment, go and read Psalm sixty-two. You may have to read it a few times before you start. To, before it starts to get in your spirit, <laughs> you go, "Yeah, actually, I can trust God in this way. I'm prepared to trust God in this way. I'm prepared to go." Yes, I'm. Uh, you know, let's just read a few verses of it now. My soul finds rest in God alone. Wow, first. First line, my soul finds rest in God alone. At points of time of trouble and hardship and persecution, you may think, my soul's not finding rest. Then go to God. Say, God, I want to find rest in you today. You can tell him, it's okay, God's big enough to cope. God, would you bring your rest to me today? I'm choosing to find my rest in you today. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock. You often get that phrase people say when they're telling stories, they were my rock. Is God going to be your rock today? In the midst of trouble and persecution and hardship, is God going to be your rock today? Is he going to be the one which is immovable? Is he going to be your fortress? He's my fortress. I shall never be shaken. Wow, you may go, I don't know how the psalmist said that. I'm feeling shaken. Let's have a theology which allows for stuff to happen. Which doesn't freak us out. Which doesn't leave us unsettled and shaken. But which causes us to grow deeper. That's what the Father wants. As we go through trials and trouble and persecution and hardship. Let's get closer to the Father. Remembering. As Sean brought that word to us, Nahum seven, The Lord is, what is he? Good. If he's good, then we can know his goodness in every circumstances. Because he's so, he doesn't change. He is unchanging. He is good. So we can trust him. We say, okay, God, I don't like this. I'd love it to change. I can still trust you. You're good. We often say it. God is good. His love endures forever. You see, friends, we need a great theology in these days, but actually we've always needed a great theology in every day. Paul's writing it 2,000 years ago, which allows for things to go wrong, which allows for hardship. It allows for suffering It allows for persecution. It does it in such a way that our hearts don't come hardened. That we don't come glib about it. But similarly that we don't end up in panic or fear when stuff goes wrong. But we put our faith into practice. We find grace in times of trouble and hardship. We look to God in prayer. We support one another in prayer. We allow for the Father to develop our character in the journey we go through. And we keep trusting him in everything and keep our eyes fixed on him. That's how we do it, friends. Let's be a church like that. Let's help one another. It's so easy to end up thinking, oh, well, they're not doing it right. It's not the time to then, in the midst of hardship, to say you've got it wrong. Instead, let's just come alongside and encourage and, Help, support, unconditionally love. And in all of this, we will see God's kingdom come. In all of this, we will see the glory of God revealed. The glory of God can be equally revealed in how somebody dies as how somebody is healed if we pursue the Father in this. Let's see the glory of God revealed. Let's see his kingdom come, not just amongst us, but let's be a demonstration of it to the people of autumn, to the area around here, ultimately to the world for the glory and honor of God. Amen? Amen. Can I pray for us? Father, we have such a sense of you taking us on another journey and learning fresh things. And Lord, we want to say our trust is in you. And we look to you, suffering God. We choose to look to you even now. I pray, Father, please develop a great theology for e- in each of our hearts and lives that... As and when trial and hardship hit, we look to you. We find grace. We exercise faith. We trust you. We support and encourage one another. We pray. Oh God, help us, Lord. Help us on the journey. I pray for those who are in the midst of it at the moment. Help us to support them, to love them. We do pray, Sovereign God, for healing in our church. For those who are sick, we pray, restore them. Let them be made well in Jesus' name. We know you're a healing God. And yet, Father, within that, we also pray that grace abound for every circumstance. Impart grace to each and every one at whatever their situation is, to keep looking to you, to keep trusting in you, whatever, however, you're going to work these things through. For yours is the power. For yours is the glory. Forever and ever. Amen. Amen.